Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The reading for today comes from the prophet Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, verses 31 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you, dear friends, and kindness too. I'm Rick Spaulding. I'm the interim pastor here at First Pres at the moment. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, a story from the last 24 hours of Jesus's life. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table and took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For Jesus knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After Jesus had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, Jesus said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to others, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of having your feet washed? Have you ever been to a foot washing service on Monday, Thursday, or, or any other day? I find it to be one of the most powerfully intimate spiritual experiences and physical experiences that I've ever had. The church that I served in Boston held their service on the Thursday before Easter in their social hall with everyone seated around tables. That service began with a simple meal of food that you could eat just with your hands. And then the candles were lit, the lights were turned down, and the focus shifted to a semicircle of a couple of dozen chairs at one end of the room. After a minute or two, when the silence had had a chance to settle, a few brave souls got up from their tables and went to sit in the semicircle and removed their shoes and socks. And meanwhile, slowly, a few others got up, passed through the kitchen behind the semicircle to collect a pitcher and a basin, and then came out and knelt down before someone sitting in the semicircle and took first one bare foot and then the other, placed it in the basin and poured the water gently slowly over the toes, the arch, the bridge, the ankle, gently massaging the warm, clean water across the skin, over the tired bones, into the forgotten muscles. And one of the rules, this was Presbyterian, so of course there were rules. One of the rules was that when you'd had your feet washed and dried, you made your way through the kitchen yourself to pick up a basin and a pitcher, and then came back to wash the feet of someone different who'd sat down in the semicircle in the meantime. The point was not to reciprocate the gift, not to return a favor, but to pay it forward, to let it ripple out into the world, into the room, and from there, I suppose, 
into the night and beyond. Now already I bet you're a little uncomfortable thinking about those funny bumps and sensitive spots that you know so well, the hammer toe, the funny shaped nail, the odors of a long day. If you came to this service in Boston, you knew all this was gonna happen, of course. And lots of people stayed away from this service for just that reason, while others came to experience the tenderness in the room, even though they themselves couldn't quite, couldn't quite do it. Is it because the feet are the unsung heroes of the body? The awkward second cousins that lack the social graces of our hands, the expressive possibilities of our eyes and mouth, the receptivity of arms. Do we think that our feet need their privacy? Those funny looking odiferous workhorses down at the place where we touch the earth. And when someone else touches them, is it a moment of more vulnerable humanity than we're quite ready for? One year in that church in Boston, we were having a hard time on the staff. We'd just gone through the painful end of a pastorate. Hey, this is starting to sound familiar. We'd just gone through the painful end of a pastorate. And those of us who were left working together had to find a new way to begin. It wasn't easy. A few minutes after the foot washing began, I got up to take my turn, dutifully hoping that my doing so would help a few other people at least to get over their feet shyness and get the ball rolling. I sat down, leaned over to undo the laces and peel off the socks. When I looked up, there was the church administrator, my colleague, with whom I had had a stressful disagreement a day or two earlier. There he was, kneeling, pouring, massaging, drying. And at exactly this point in the story, as I'm sure you can understand, there are no more words, nothing else to say, except this. It was different after that, for a little while. Better, truer, deeper. Well, I don't know if you've ever been to a foot washing or if you have what it was like for you, different maybe, your own experience, surely. But here's the question that I find lurking so loudly between the lines of this story about Jesus's last meal with his closest friends. How did it come to be written down only in the Gospel of John that Jesus washed their feet? It's not in Matthew or Mark or Luke. To have the teacher whom you'd come to trust, to revere, to call master, to follow all the way to the threshold of the end, to have that person whom you knew was facing imminent moral danger lay aside his robe just like he's about to lay aside his life and kneel at your feet and wash away the dust, the ache, the weariness, maybe even some of the fear. How was that not one of the most vivid moments of gospel that you'd ever know in your life? And how would it not be the lead in the story from then on down the generations? 
He knelt down and washed our feet one by one, even the feet of the one who was about to betray him. That night he knelt and washed our feet and he told us to do the same for each other. How is that not our sacrament? How did we let our poor, gnarly, ugly human feet forget the experience of being held simply and tenderly and in the holding come to believe in a different part of us, a new part of us, a more hidden part that we are loved and that the love that we have received will always fill the pitcher that we are every time we pass through the kitchen so that we can pour it out for the cleansing and the soothing and the healing of the world. When he was done, as the Gospel of John has it, Jesus told them that he'd given them two things. One was an example. And that word example in Greek is a word that only appears in this one verse in the whole New Testament, so it kind of glows on the page. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you this remarkable, unique thing, an example that you should also do as I have done to you. And the other thing that he said he'd given them was a commandment that we love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another, he said. By this, everyone will know who you belong to if you have love for one another. He called it a new commandment. Maybe because the 10 of them that they'd all grown up with were all about respecting and honoring and doing right by each other, but none of them is quite about loving each other. Then there was the, the one, the commandment about loving your neighbor as yourself. But this was different too, because now the standard was going to be not holding your neighbor in the same regard that you hold yourself, but loving one another with the same pouring out life kind of love that he'd shown to them. A new commandment. Through the weeks of this summer here at First Pres, we're inviting you to think with us about new beginnings. Because of course, in a way, none of us expected last winter or even just three months ago, we seem to be in the midst of a new beginning. As Reverend Johnson said so powerfully last Sunday, new needs to mean that something is different, especially in a world that's filled right now with more anger than compassion, where we have reason to fear Intimate, infinitesimally small things like a virus and unimaginably huge things like the legacy of centuries of inequality reinforced by violence. Especially in such a world, hope means to commit to each new day as though it were a fresh vessel, a pitcher of the always replenishing mercies of God, because of course it is. Since no one is quite sure what normal is anymore, it's not exactly a new normal that we're invited to consider, but it is a new thing, a new beginning, a new day that we're being invited to embrace. So what better than a new commandment? But here's the thing. The foot washing seems to have been a surprise, at least to us and maybe even to them. But the commandment to love one another is about as familiar as anything that we Christians know. 
how is it a new commandment anymore that we love one another as he loved us? Isn't it the one that we've had the longest and know the best? After Jesus finished washing their feet, he asked them, do you know what I've done to you? He needed to ask because going around the semicircle, Simon Peter, always needing to get it right and to be out front, gave him some pushback. Pulling himself up to his most dazzling humility, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. To which Jesus replied, if you don't have this experience, you won't understand what I'm inviting you into. Peter wasn't done yet though. Okay, if you're washing, wash more of me than anybody else. He wants to keep the place he imagines for himself in the center where it's safer and easier and where the rewards he imagines are greater. So sure that he already knows what a new commandment to love one another as Jesus loved us would look like. It would be no big deal at all to live that. Do you understand what I've done to you? Jesus quietly asked. Do you understand what's new about this commandment? I gave you an example. Before any words were spoken, I reminded you what it feels like to be held under the gentle pouring out of the love of God upon your weary, dusty flesh. If you'll let yourself remember what that feels like, you'll start to understand what's new about it. And you'll need to. Because this commandment is going to need to be a new one when a lot of things happen that you don't see coming. What does the new commandment to love look like, for instance, when a white man is kneeling on the neck of a black man for the four millionth time? What do you do then? What does a new commandment to love one another mean when everyone and anyone could get sick and die from just being close to each other? What does a new commandment to love one another mean when they ask you to wear a mask for the sake of others, but some people can't be bothered? What does a new commandment to love one another mean when the lobby of the state house fills up with people carrying weapons? What does a new commandment to love one another mean when an election gets canceled? What does a new commandment to love one another mean when the polar ice cap is gone, along with the coastal dwelling of nearly a billion people. On the night before he poured out his life for us, Jesus gave his friends a commandment and an example. We took the commandment. We know the words and we say them to reassure ourselves that we know what he did for us that night, a new commandment that we love one another as he loved us. But we left the example behind in the basin. We let go of the memory of holding the bony odiferous flesh in the name of privacy, maybe, or in the name of privilege, or in the name at least of not feeling too vulnerable or in the name, God help us, of protecting our place as people who have enough of what we need without opening ourselves that far. 
we let ourselves forget what it feels like to be just another human being alongside of other human beings, each with their own tendons and cartilage and toes and breath and pulse. The words are good words. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. But he gave us more than words. He showed us how to do it, how to hold each other tenderly, respectfully, how to hold even the ones who betray us. Peter thought he already knew what it looked like to live according to the words of a commandment that we love one another. He even promised that if it came to that, he'd put his own safety on the line for the sake of his love. But we know how that came out in the courtyard a few hours later. Privilege and safety are so hard to let go of. And a lot of the time, probably a lot of us think we know too what it looks like to live this commandment. And then something happens and suddenly the commandment is new. New like it is now. New the way Michelle Alexander the author of The New Jim Crow described it in the New York Times this week. Our only hope for our collective liberation is a politics of solidarity rooted in love. In recent days, we've seen what it looks like when people of all races, ethnicities, genders, and backgrounds rise up together, standing in solidarity for justice, protesting, marching, and singing together. We've seen our faces in another American mirror, a reflection of the best of who we are and what we can become. I've glimpsed in a foggy mirror scenes of a beautiful, courageous nation struggling to be born. Then something happens and suddenly the commandment is new. Something happens and then, then maybe something will stir among our bones or between our toes and we'll remember the example. And remember too, that we'll never already know what it looks like to love with a new commandment. Because even an ordinary morning is always new. And even an ordinary life is always precious. And even an ordinary situation is always a new beginning where the poured out love of Jesus is concerned. God help us. Amen. Let us pray. God who loves us each beyond measure, you weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You call us to lives of justice, faithfulness, and mercy. Hear our prayer this day as we come on another day in history of this world. With our hearts open to you, our lives laid before you, our hopes, our dreams, our sadness, and our shame all here before you. Let this day be yet another new beginning for us, O God of new mercies every morning. You are always and foremost love. As the light pierces the morning, may it likewise pierce our hearts with love. Love for the stranger. 
love for the neighbor, love for the wounded soul spewing hate, love for the weary souls resting, resisting the destructive forces let loose in the world. Let that love come in and settle and take over, suffocating evil, directing our words, our steps, our actions in the way that you would will for us in this world. You are ever kind and tender towards us. Even when you are clear and firm and we let you down, when your anger is kindled, when you are surely frustrated with the complacency, greed, and self-serving of we, your creatures. So let us live as you live towards us. As this day unfolds, may our souls unfold with tenderness. Tenderness for the grieving. Tenderness for the risk takers. Tenderness for the traumatized. Tenderness for the seekers. Tenderness for the lonely. Tenderness for the hard of heart. You are the source of unending joy. Joy in this world that bubbles up and blossoms even in the midst of tragedy and hardship, of sheltering, of hesitant reopening, of reunions. As the promise of new life calls us forth from our shadows, may we respond with joy. Joy for the life that awaits. Joy for the song that lifts our hearts. Joy for the healing that transforms what is broken. Joy for the courage that steadies our steps. Joy for the journey that connects us to one another. Let love, tenderness, and joy inspire us and strengthen us for this journey as we do the work to bring justice to all people. But more than that, bring our voices together, unite them in horror and anger in determination and protest for a different world now, a world that we can begin to see that we hope, that we want to see dawning, so that our voices could also be united in praise. Jesus, we pray that you will enable us to see the virus of racism and bigotry wherever it lives and free us to challenge and uproot it from ourselves, our society, and our world. Create in us a new mind and heart that will enable us to see brothers and sisters in the faces of those divided by racial categories. Give us the grace and strength to rid ourselves of racial stereotypes that oppress some of us while providing entitlements to others. Help us to create a church and a nation that embraces the hopes and fears of oppressed people of color where we live, as well as those around the world. Let, us be, let this be our calling today and every day. We pray for medical professionals, for scientists, researchers, and all who search for a cure or vaccine for COVID-19, for the safety and well-being of all medical responders, and for those who suffer from this virus or will face it in coming days. Lord, have mercy upon us all. Heal your family, God, and make us one with you, united with you in love, in tenderness, and ultimately in joy. This we pray through Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.